Have you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting, amazing episode of Psychic on the Scene. And here with you, as always, is Katie Manning Hilton, redheaded psychic medium, and my sidekick, D Scott, Hi. our producer and friend. Hi, D. Hi there. And uh, my other dear friend and sidekick, Michelle Lyons Polito, psychic medium. Hey, everyone. And Michelle, I'm going to have you introduce our very special guest tonight. We're all excited. Our fans are excited about this show. Um, this got a lot of hubbub before we started to, to tape. So, uh, Michelle, go ahead, take it away. Tonight, we have with us. Uh, my dear friend, Terry Clark, I haven't seen her in a very long time. Terry, um, at the time that I first met her, was working as a hospice nurse. And we had the honor of having her help us with my dad when he was getting ready to make his transition. So, Terry, welcome. Oh. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Believe me. Uh, 14 years in hospice showed me a lot. <laughs> wow. And are you still with hospice, Terry? No, um, I'm doing a different ministry at this point. I, I work for St. Joseph's Provincial House, and Ooh. I'm do, um, in a position that we just created in last August called a, a holistic healthcare partner. Wow. So it's a little bit less than a case manager. It's it's the helping the sisters that are still out in the community stay there as safely as they can for as long as they can and be in that reason. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So yeah, it's really great. It's really great. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, sisters of St. Joseph over at St. Francis de Sales in Troy uh, years, years ago. They were, they were wonderful. Yeah, they are. So Terry, the reason we had you on was um, we had run a contest and we asked our listeners to send in show ideas and I love doing that because um, when we have the contest, we get so many great ideas and it just shows how many people are really linked into the community and things they want us to highlight, which we try to go through the list and gives us great ideas. And I was messaged by um, Christine Stigberg Demento, who is a dear friend. And um, she said, have you ever done a show or talked about visioning um, with hospice workers. And I was like, what? Never heard of that. Never heard that term before, but I've heard of the, the episodes. So Terry, um, after sending out the, uh, you know, like, Hey, anybody know somebody, there were so many hospice workers that were messaging and saying, Oh, I got stories. I got stories. So would love to hear how with your people are so afraid of death and dying anyway. So they get worried about it. And, and that maybe not even for themselves, but they're worried about their loved ones. What is happening yes. during the stages of passing. And even when they come to myself or Michelle for readings, they'll say, I hope they didn't suffer. Right. I hope they weren't suffering at the very end. So first of all, how did you get involved with working for hospice? And for 14 years, my goodness. That's a long time. That's a long time. I think it was my personal experience as my mother and father passed within two years of each other, one in 1988 and one in 1990. Wow. And, um, I always sort of had a, I don't know, even from the time I was a little kid, I, I just kind of felt that connection to the other side. It mm -hmm. want to put it. Um, my mother, not so much. She used okay. to call up my woo-woo stuff. Yeah. Talk mm -hmm. about these things. <laughs> different time, 1988, 1990. Yeah. So your life even before that, different time, different yeah. acceptance. You couldn't so talk about I it. I think really. the experiences right. that I had with her and watching her do the work that she had to do to mm. pass into this next realm. Wow. Always stayed with me and. I worked for the Center for Disability Service at this point, and we had a young girl, a 19-year-old on hospice care. Oh. Mm. And at the end of that 
um, they said to me, if you ever want a career in hospice, call us. You did a great job. And so when it was time to move on, that's where I went. So that's that's kind of how I became a hospice home care nurse for 14 years. <laughs> so you you bring up a very valid or, or important piece of information with what you just said about growing up and, and, and actually helping your parents transition, it sounds like as well, but that most people that are in healthcare teaching and law enforcement are high empathetics. Yep. And there's probably a, a special division for people that go into that healing hospice work. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the hospice work that you're doing isn't just for the patient. Like I said, it's for the families. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. That, that really is where the healing. So when you were a child, did you have any experiences before we get into talking about the stories with, with visioning of maybe ever seeing anything, ever sensing anything? Oh, often. But the <laughs> probably earliest story that I, re I can remember was um, my grandfather, my grandmother and grandfather watched me from six months old to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather died when I was five. Oh, and wow. I probably, I can't, you know, I, I can't say it was probably around eight years old or so. I, I had these, some people call them visions. Some people call them dreams. For me, I'm in a dream state when these visitations, I, I really feel happen to me. I think mm -hmm. it's a state very similar to the end of life when you're mm -hmm. in between the, same, the, the two worlds. I think in a dream state. I always felt that that was a safe place for people to come and visit me where I wouldn't be scared. And mm -hmm. things happen in these dreams to me that are um, just too vivid mm. to be dreams, I guess is the way. Too many physical contacts and things like that. So this first time it happened to me at eight or so years old, I was in my grandparents' cellar and my grandfather was standing there and the things we used to do, um, the thing, our thing was I would run in the house. He would say, oh, not you again. And I'd run to <laughs> pick me up and twirl me around. And so that was our thing. So in this dream, I ran to him and he stopped me and he wouldn't let me come. He wouldn't let me touch him. Oh, that's so interesting. He said to me, Hi. And I said, Grampy, it's so good to see you or whatever I said. I just remember being so excited. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, I love you and you take good care of your Grammy. Oh. And my grandmother lived to be 98 and I was maybe not her main caregiver, but I took care of my grandmother until the day she died. Oh. So that was number one. And, and I could probably, you know, go on at nauseum every person that I have lost. I have had in, in a certain amount of time, this kind of goodbye, except for my father when he died. And uh, that's a whole not, that's a whole nother story. Um, but I eventually did have my father when he was finally at peace come to me, but uh, it took a while for him. So wow. when I went into hospice work, I already was open to this kind of experience. And when you're standing in the room of a patient who was right on the edge of crossing over and they're looking at you and they're really looking right beyond you or through yes. you and they're, they're communicating and you, if you're open to it, you feel that presence behind you. I was going to ask you that when this, so visioning is really um, end of death or end of life, excuse me. Um, experience and like they call it deathbed phenomena. Mm -hmm. And it's really when a person has really been uh, maybe even in a coma, mm -hmm. they start to perk up and they are smiling and looking at somebody, sometimes communicating yeah. um, with somebody in the room. And it's, it sounds like it's only a brief time before they leave. Terry, is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Or it can be, um, in my mother's case, a vision, a vision happened. She was not at end of life. She was in the midst of, of treatment for lung cancer. And now mind you remember my mother doesn't believe in, in this woo woo stuff. <laughs> so, right. um, when she was in the midst of treatment and was having some pain in her back from the lung cancer, 
she finally broke down and took one Tylenol number three. And the next day I came in and I asked her how her night was. And she said she wouldn't take that blankety blank coating again. And I said, and why? And she said to me, well, you wouldn't believe the dream I had. And I said, oh, what happened? And she said, I thought I was awake, but evidently I wasn't. She said, I rolled over and there stands my brother, Bob, who had predeceased her. Oh, wow. And she said, I said to him, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he said, I came to see you. And she said, well, I've been sick. He said, I know that's why I'm here. And he, right. my father at this point had died. Um, she was diagnosed with cancer six months after he died. Mm -hmm. So within that, this happened within that year after my father died. And he said, have you, have you talked to Bob, meaning my father? And my mother said, no. And he said, well, he's doing well. He's got a lot of people helping him adjust. Now, these are words wow. of a woman who doesn't believe in this. Right. Telling you this whole dream. And um, she, he told her to roll over and he touched, he asked her where the pain was and he touched her back where her pain was. And he said, it wouldn't hurt for a while. And then he said, oh, I got to go. And she said, no, don't go. Why do you have to go? And he, he said, well, look at me. And then she said, with that, his features just melted and he was gone. That's incredible, Terry. It, it was really incredible, especially coming from somebody who doesn't, doesn't believe, believe in that. And, and, what and just, just like you said, you've witnessed it. You've witnessed yeah. these people and that you feel what they're feeling or you're feeling their happiness. You're feeling their joy in participating with people on the other side. There doesn't seem to be in the stories that I've heard ever seem to be of great fear. I will ask you this. Um, and then I'll share a couple of stories with you, but there is more than one time, Terry, that somebody who was crossing has talked to their family about the clock, the time they know what time it is, like out of a stupor, mm -hmm. um, an indication or that somebody's there telling them the time that mm -hmm. other people can't see. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that or ever heard that? The only reference that I remember being told was of my mother's sister who um, technically died on the operating table mm. and had a, a, the odd body experience where she was looking down on her body mm -hmm. and saw a staircase and her father, which was my grandfather, the same grandfather that came to me was at the top of the stairs and she started going towards him and he said to her, no, it's not your time. And with that, she was back in her body. So there, oh, wow. there is that time. And I, I imagine in different people, it might manifest in different ways. Um, like an actual clock time. Yeah. It, it, I think it's more of a, a the spiritual time, a, a time when, when, you know, yeah, more than one um, person has told that one one um, story was I was reading for a woman and I said to her, did your dad pass? And she said, no, he's fine. I take care of him. You know, I watch out for him. And she was very tidy, put together, beautiful, middle aged woman. And um, I don't even know what the the basically like the focus of her reading was. But about six, eight months later, I went into another group reading at a house maybe in Albany. And um, that woman was sitting there and she said, I came because I needed to talk to you. She said, you kept asking me about my father and if he was okay and if he was alive. And she said, and you asked me during the reading about his watch or his clock. And she said, I don't know what you mean. And she said, you wrote it down. She yeah. said, well, I need to let you know that my father passed away. Soon after that reading, he wound up being hospitalized. I believe he had a stroke. Wow. And um, she said he woke up out of a stupor and he was talking to the clock oh in the room and wow. said, I know what time it is. I don't need you to tell me what time it is. And she said, Dad, who are you talking to? She goes, that man. The man keeps telling me what time it is. And I told him, I already know what time it is. I'm not ready to go yet. Wow. Oh and God. she but she said he was talking to the clock. She said, I don't know what who he was seeing mm -hmm. in that with the clock. And then. She, he did pass a, a while later, but at that moment, 
Yeah. Whoever it was that was showing up, talking to him about like, you know, it's time maybe. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I already know what time it is. I'm not ready. And then I have another um, client who was in a, they didn't even know why her body was declining. She was a fairly young woman and she was hospitalized and she, um, her, all of her vital signs were dropping, dropping, dropping. And she um, grabbed her husband's hand and she kept asking him over and over again, what time is it? What time is it? And he's panicking, watching them work on her and trying to figure out what's happening. And she keeps saying to him, what time is it? And he got so like frustrated. He looked at her and he said, it's time for you to live. And she said, okay. And all of her vitals went back to normal. Wow. Wow. And wound up living, you know, as far as I know, she's still alive, but for quite some time, but she kept grabbing him and saying, what time is it? What time is it? And he'd be like, it's two Oh three. It's, you know, two, two Oh six. And finally out of frustration, he goes, it's time for you to live. She went, okay. Numbers are so important. Like if you have your astrological chart done, mm -hmm. what time? And you need to know like uh, the, the place because you have the longitude and latitude. My mm-hmm. grandmother did a similar thing. Uh, my grandmother lived to be, uh, I think she was 97 years old. She talked about how she was sick and um, she it was healing, but she was back at home. And she told us when we saw her on that weekend, she's like, you know, and she, she was kind of a crusty woman. <laughs> she said, my sister came to me and told me it was time to go. She tapped her watch. I looked at her and said, no, rolled over, went back to sleep. She looked like another 10 years after that. <laughs> said, nope, I'm not going. And her sister said, it's time. And, and Well, I, I do that. I have seen over and over and over people who clinically should no longer be alive. Mm-hmm. Mm. Who are waiting for that special loved one or that call yeah. from that, that a strange person and those kind oh. of things. And the other thing, especially in hospice care, that that's really important is for the family to accept that that time is coming and to give them permission to go ahead and do the work they have to do. Some of the work is done on this side and some of the work is done on the other side. And sometimes what we see, I think, as suffering, quote, I mean, yes, there is physical, you know, medical suffering, but I think some of it also is is something that they are resolving in that mid space that we really don't. Wow. Have. That's, that's a very powerful statement. I agree with that. Me too. Cause so very often I've done hospice Reiki and I've been with, you know, a handful of people when they passed and I, it, it wasn't the same with my own father because he was my dad. Right. Right. But with these other people, like everyone's over that body when they're going through their labor Mm-hmm. let go and i look over and they're standing in spirit behind their loved ones comforting their loved ones yeah they're absolutely. out of there it's like yeah. why would i be in there <laughs> right exactly exactly an incredible yeah. experience um when i was training for hospice there was a chaplain and and one of the things that she said was so profound and i used it often and, and it's true that death done right is as beautiful as birth it's the other end of the spectrum Oh, I love that. Uh, uh, yes, I agree with that. It 100%. really is. It's it to me. It's it's a, it's a new birth into a into a different realm. Um, and so whether you, I think the hardest hospice cases I ever had to to do to bring peace was people who had absolutely, definitively no belief in anything mm-hmm. after this life. Oh. Well, so that's an interesting thing that you bring up because I have had, uh, I'm sure Michelle has too, where, especially when I first got started doing um, readings professionally, where people wanted to um, kind of challenge what I saw. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a convincer. I'm not somebody that wants to to work with a skeptic so I can prove myself. Right, right. And one of the things I found, and it was really because of my mom, because I am a Catholic and I, I have belief Same. in heaven and, and that, right. And you know, that there is um, our existence beyond and other planes. So all I had to do and it changed everything was say to somebody one time, they started to challenge me and they were kind of barking at me and I was at an event and I finally put my hand up and I said, 
what what do you believe in? What is your what is your religious belief? What is your what is your beliefs? And they went, well, well, like throwing their arms akimbo. And they said, well, I don't have I don't have any belief. And I said, well, we have nothing else to talk about. Right? Oh, good for you. Yeah. There's, nothing else, there's no other conversation. If that's if your platform is you have no belief. OK, go ahead. Go but ahead. then we don't have to have any kind of a challenge or anything. Right. Because you have none of that um, kind of system. Mm-hmm. happening. So in your work, Terry, um, with, with patients that are having, um, these unexplained manifestations, it's no different than when people have had near death experiences and they come back and they know who was in the room and who was working on right. them and what was happening yeah. that they're seeing things. Um, is there a progression that happens or you see it at different stages of what they're doing or what they're saying or what they're not saying um, with these unexplained manifestations? I think um, when, when we can get patients into what I can call the comfort zone, people are so afraid of using the morphine and the, the Ativan and I, you know, the morphine's going to kill them and I don't want to give them that last dose that's going to kill them. And, and what I always tried to um, teach them is that medicine gets rid of the conscious. Mm. So the subconscious then can do the work it needs to do. It's very mm. hard to die if you're in pain or you're really anxious. The oh, body can't, can't let the spirit can't let go of the body with all that going on. So Say that again. The body can't die. Is that what you just said? Without all that pain, that is very hard to, for the body and the spirit to separate when the body is in that much pain or is that anxious when, when people don't want to die and they don't want to die. And you, you know, families are like, what are they hanging on for? They've all given them permission and all that. You have to get those symptoms under control so that they can let go. And that's the hardest thing for families to do. It's okay that they're not eating. It's okay that they're not drinking. They're they're letting this body get prepared to, for me. This is my, you know, my belief in, in what I've gained over my life and my experience. But they've got to let that body get ready to, to separate. And mm. so you can't do that if they're fighting. And if somebody really, really doesn't want to let go of their loved one, it's really hard for that loved one to get into that peaceful plane to let go. Wow, so, Terry, that's amazing. Yeah. So they, the they still you hold them there. Yeah, you don't right. want to hold them there, but it's hard. I mean, and my mother, um, when my father had a stroke and, and she was faced with the whole DNR thing and blah, blah, blah. I won't go into that long story. But as soon as he was settled and, and gone, she did a living will and a healthcare proxy and did all those things. So we wouldn't be faced with that. And she didn't want a respirator and she didn't want a feeding tomb and natural death. When she was diagnosed with lung cancer and her lungs and her heart filled up with fluid, she was given the choice of comfortably dying or having the fluid drained and possibly not coming off the respirator. She made the choice not to come off the respirator. 10 weeks on a respirator, an NG tube for feeding, everything she thought she didn't want. Right. When it came time for her to give up her life, she wasn't ready to do it. And luckily her mind was with it enough that she could make those decisions. We didn't have to make them for her. Wonderful. I mean, that's Um, that's a blessing that she was able to do. I have, um, years ago, Sylvia Brown, um, renowned psychic said when, and she, I think she was on Montel when she said it, she said, when we come here, she said, it's like a party and everybody should be in the room. Uh-huh. She said, when we go, it is a very private thing that we need to go alone. And she said, if you are faced with that, where you are not there when your loved one passes, it was a choice. Yes, absolutely. It is there. It is done intentionally that certain living energy prevents our loved ones from transitioning over to the other side. And I've always thought it was the helpers, um, the hospice mm-hmm. workers that are usually the ones that kind of know that mm-hmm. person is, is struggling with the in-between yeah. and they may say to a family member, go take a shower, go get a cup of coffee, go, you know, go, yep. go for, take a break. and that's right. Take a break. It's usually then mm-hmm. that the, 
person passes and it's because you guys can kind of intuitively know and see that the person is being held in the body and not making that move, um, you know, to transition. Absolutely. I had a beautiful family. Mother was a retired nurse. One boy, and I think it was four girls, five girls. Anyway, they they were just wonderful. And and it it was so hard for him to let go. And they were, Mm. he ended up in the hospice and, and the family was in there and they were in shifts and he was there and he was there and he was there. And we had a family meeting and finally as a family, including me, they asked me to come with them to tell them, gave him permission. And they started one at a time being in the room. And when one of the daughters was alone in the room, looking out the window is when he left. And so it, it, my father did the same to me. I was on my way to Samaritan hospital, driving over the bridge on this. I'll never forget the feeling of a whoosh going through my gut. I just felt like something passed right through me. I got to the floor. The nurse came around from the nurse's station and she said, I'm so sorry he passed. I said about three and a half minutes ago. And she kind of looked at me and she said, yeah, yeah, about that. I said, yeah, I think he swung by and said goodbye on his way. And I honestly believe that. I felt a feeling I've never felt since. And I was very upset, but my husband put it in perspective. We had said everything we had to say. And like this other family, he couldn't die in front of his girls. So he yeah. waited for a period of time we weren't there. And that's okay. And I think that's hard for families. I, I think that is a very hard thing because there's so much guilt. There's that. that. It's it's yeah. a Hollywood thing, too, that they show. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to have breath and it's so beautiful. And death, death can be beautiful, but it's also it's hard work just as birth is. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not a, it's not a Hollywood movie. That's it for sure. Not. You know, I've seen it both ways. We had friends of ours, friends of my parents who lived in Sydney, New York, and they had five boys and they finally had their girl, Peggy, and she was born with cystic fibrosis. Mm. So whenever she got very sick, they'd come into Albany. She'd go to Albany Med and the, um, the parents, Ann and Dick would stay with us. And, you know, back and forth. And she was, we, then we would summer with them. We'd go down for a week. They'd go to Ocean City, Maryland, because she could breathe better there. And I remember they, they would pound her ribs to get her, you know, to be able to breathe. And wonderful family. Um, Peggy, she almost made it to 20. She wanted to make it to 20. And she, she just missed it. But she was, she was in a coma at this point. And Anne was sitting next to her. Anne and Dick were sitting next to her, holding her hands. And Dick had to step out. Um, and, and she goes, I think I held my urine for 12 hours straight. She said, I finally had to go. She goes, I went to the bathroom went as quick as I could Peggy in that three minute period of time, Peggy had slipped away. Yeah. She couldn't leave her parents. Yeah. And then absolutely. Yeah. And then Dick passed into the same thing. She went out and had to have a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> but then my cousin, Robert, who we've had on the podcast, he had a near-death experience, which was really profound. And we all asked the same thing. My His siblings and, and myself, was Timmy wearing glasses when you saw your brother? Was he wearing glasses on the other side? Which, yes, he was. But he, um, when my Aunt Helen, Timmy's mother and Robert's mother, when she was passing, she had 11 children. God, God bless her soul. Really? You know, full term, no multiple births. She was waiting for Robert to get there. She needed all 11 of her children. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. held on. And the second he walked in that room. Yep. She was good. Well, my mother decided that she wasn't going to die on Easter Sunday. She was. <laughs> we got her home on a respirator. I had a friend of mine when LPN did the day shift. I did the evening shift. She found a girl for the overnight shift. My mother was home. All these doubts and all these things came i mean she she finally i think got her her peace on earth of where she was heading and everything so it was all worth the 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 effort that we we had um but i was this friend of mine said go ahead your whole family go to church i'll stay with her and then i was going to be there by myself the rest of the day and i'm standing in church and i feel this shivers right up to the, you know, right up my spine to the base of my head. And I turn around and 
my friend who's the nurse's sister is standing at the back of the church. And I go, don't tell me we did all this and none of us are there. So of course I flew out and my girlfriend's like this. She's okay. She's okay. She's okay. But something's different. She wants you all home. So my poor nephew and my son are serving and the whole family, you know, I said to my cousin, bring the boys home. We all like empty out of the church. So the boys are thinking their grandmother's gone and they're still up on the altar. But anyway, we get home. And she was failing and her oxygen level was going down and we were, it's okay. It's Easter. What better day to go to the Lord? And I told her she wasn't all that religious, but you know, and (laughs) saying not on Easter, I won't do this to you on Easter. And we were all okay with that. Not on Easter. She probably fell into a coma about three or four o'clock Easter Sunday. She did not die till I think it was a little after one on Monday. Oh my wow. God. Wow. Oxygen level on a respirator, I believe, was hanging in the 40s most of the time. That seems impossible. But she would not leave on Easter. Oh. And so when it was getting close, I called the night nurse. I said, Call before you come. She's not going to make your shift. She was in her own bed in the dining room. And my sister was at the bottom of the bed when I was on the phone and I heard her say tear. And my mother at that point had been comatose since the day before was sitting up straight. Her eyes were gone, technically still alive because the respirator was her heart was still beating her. She was gone. Um, And we just laid her back down. The two nurses, the one that was coming on, the one that was leaving came in and put the stethoscope on her heart and waited till it stopped and it stopped. And, and it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful Mm. that she picked the time when she was going to go. And and I do think they do that a lot. Absolutely. And, and is it their decision (laughs) or is it pre, you know, preordained? You know, who knows, but it's amazing to watch year after year after year. I was always spiritual. I was always religious. And, and those 14 years of hospice care just made everything so much stronger and so mm. clearer to me. Tara, you're amazing. Just amazing. So do you have a set? I've got so many questions. Do you have a set of rituals for letting go, whether it's for the person or for the family, like a, like things that you do to try and either calm the energy, make things peaceful that you do when you're, you're, you were waiting on or taking care of patients in hospice? Well, you know, hospice does a wonderful job, I think, in training the families. They, I, I hope they still give out this little blue book one from my site, <laughs> which was uh, the publication that, that is written beautifully. Um, and it goes through the things that you might see through different stages. Oh, yeah. So the more families are aware of what stage their loved ones are in and what's normal in that stage, the less frightening okay. those things become. Okay. So, that's, that's you know, a great help. Yeah. yeah. So, Forewarned is prepared. Exactly. Exactly. And I can't tell you how many times in those 14 years I heard, thank God for that little book. Thank God you explained that to me. Oh, they followed the book. Exactly. Well, some people do, some people don't, but if you look, if something's happening and you read it and okay, that's a normal part of dying, then it's yeah. less scary for the family. It's okay. They're following the steps. And just empowering them to be okay with giving the medicine to keep them in that calm zone. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just let it be that they say, oh, how is it a natural death if you have medication in there? Well, yeah, the medication is to keep that body that's kind of failing on it. And it's, I believe the body and the mind on a different plane, the body's got to do what it's got to do to fail. And, and we want to block that consciousness so that the spirit can. So it's preventing suffering at an emotional, spiritual and physical level. Absolutely. Right. And this is being obviously reported or seen um, with these visionings and the end of life things. It's every culture, it's every religion. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have, 
a a stamp on it that said, well, it's only in Catholicism. It's only oh, in, yeah. it's all religions, all cultures that it seems across the board. So I've got to ask, have you ever had a paranormal experience while you were helping somebody at the end of their life? Or did you have it? did you have something like it was a strange occurrence um somebody visit that you saw in the room um anything like that lights going on and off oh the lights going on and off i (laughs) i worked originally for the pace program saint peter's pace program that was opened in the downstairs of saint joseph's provincial house i now work for the sisters of saint joseph but I started it down there. It was our primary care clinic. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the sisters are very conscious of the environment. So all the lights, you know, are motion sent. If you don't move it, it gets dark. And I was there often during COVID, late at night by myself. And so if the hall light went on and nobody was there, you could rationalize, you know, maybe a bug flew by the sensor, <laughs> you know, who knows, you know. <laughs> what started freaking myself and and also happened to my LPN who was there late one night was when the gooseneck lamps in the exam yes. rooms that have yeah. to be clicked on and off would go on and off. Wow. Oh. And she one day said she swore out of the corner of her eye she saw one sister who who told us many times when she went she was going to come back and haunt us ha ha ha. <laughs> Yes. You know, I have not, I, I, I think the visuals that I have have always been in that dream state and, and it has been an ex-boyfriend that passed away, another mm-hmm. friend that passed away. It's been, you know, every, my I, I was going to ask you about that too. Do you ever have patients visit you That's right. afterwards yeah. in dream state? I really, I really don't think I have. Um, I think I would remember if I did. I occasionally will have a, a like a short blip in a dream uh-huh. of someone mm-hmm. that I took care of, uh, but it's not as it's you. not as intense as the people that I I have personally been involved with. But I might just you know there's a you know there's always those couple special that stay with you in in yeah. spirit for sure. Um, we had another woman who had to move out of the house that she built, uh, move into a condo with her daughter in the same village, but was not happy that she had to move out of her house. And the day of her funeral service, right in the middle of it, the transformer outside of her old house was hit by lightning and the whole village went dark. And I swear to God, she had a personality that if she could have manipulated that, she would have. Oh my God. Oh, I I love that. I I think that's awesome. To tell me about it. She said she did it. I swear she did it. She was so (laughs) mad. I moved her out of that house. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think too, I think a lot of people would have a lot more understanding and, and experiences if they weren't so afraid of it. Right. Agreed. There was a family, I think they were in, in the city and they had a family member who was unconscious and um, obviously could not communicate, was in like a coma state. And they videotaped in the room and sent it to me that they would be talking and they'd say, if you can hear us, make the drawer open. And the drawer next to the bed would slowly like slide open. That's and you know, and if you can if you can hear us, turn the light on. So the family members were getting freaked out by it, but there was two of the sisters that really felt like, like, like not only sharing it with me, like you know, Katie can validate, this, yeah, but but that they were they knew that their loved one, even in that that transitional state, could still hear them, mm-hmm. and that was their exactly. their kind of like goodbye, their family validation. Um, I know even with when Ronald Reagan um, had passed, um, she actually had said, Nancy Reagan said that he woke up and she said he was in there. Like she could uh-huh. see him in his, and he was in his, like his eyes were the same and he uh-huh. was lucid. And um, just before he died and he saw her and he, he smiled like, Aww. like almost like, where have you been? Right. Yeah. And, 
Um, I know that that is, it happens quite often. Have you experienced, we talked about them talking to other people in the room, but have you actually seen somebody else in the room or heard somebody else, like a spirit that's taking them? Um, No, not, not professionally. I never have. What I've had is that sort of cool chill that Mm. goes to you. Um, not, not, a, not anything fearfully, but just knowing that that presence is there. I've had, uh, way back when I worked at Albany Med, I had an older woman and I remember her looking right, right beyond me mm. and she had dementia, but she was like, hello. And, and I could feel that person behind mm. me. I knew that she was seeing somebody I couldn't see but I could feel them. It was a little freaky. I was a lot younger <laughs> and, you know, kind of still building up a, a lifetime of experience and like, so that kind of freaked me out a little bit, Oh my God. But, you know, through, through my life. It's always been these little things. We lived in a very old house in April park in the village when we first oh. got married. Yeah. And I was pregnant for my son sleeping upstairs. It was my sister-in-law's house. We were renting and I woke up, and there was a face of an old woman right at my face. And I just, I just like started yelling because, and I wrinkly, wrinkly, very old. And I pulled my stomach away. For some reason, I didn't want her near my, my baby. Protective, yeah. I was very protective of the baby. And as my poor husband almost had a heart attack, he's downstairs and I'm upstairs screaming. As he was running up the stairs... I was looking at this face and it just kept getting smaller, smaller, smaller. And when it was this big, like I could still see her features, her wrinkles, and he came in the room and it left. And so, oh, pregnancy, dreams, yada, yada, yada. We just kind of got rid of that. But in that house, it had one of those great claw tub, four clawed tubs. Yeah. Neither one of us would ever shut the door upstairs. The room at the top of the stairs was storage. You never felt alone. If I had to do oh. something in the basement, I would run through it. Oh, jeez. Um, so all of these funky not feelings, a good feeling. Not, not a good, good feelings. Not fun feelings. Um, not the feelings I experience at the end of life. Mm. Um, wow. Later, I did run into the woman who eventually bought that house that had a psychic come up because of things that happened. And was told that there was a spirit of an old woman looking for her child who had passed. Oh, oh. Now. I got chills. Yeah. When I talked to my family who lived in that house prior to us, the two kids who were now teenagers who were much younger when they lived in that house said, oh, yeah, we used to play with him in the cubbies all the time. Oh. So, yeah. And, yeah, so there was definitely... And you, I, yeah, there was a spirit there. I don't, and I, after, after hearing it, I think back and I think, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't have feared the baby, but <laughs> then when she told me and it was totally accidental that we found out it was the same house. I was telling her my experience in the house and she was telling me hers. And then we found out it was the same house. Wow. You know, if they helped the, the woman and the child cross over and reunite? Um, I think she did say that they had a, they oh, did have a, a ceremony to do that. Because if not, text yeah. me the address and I'll take care yeah, of it. Really. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The ch- child being probably lost. probably the closest I've ever had to a vision because I really honestly remember waking up. And my husband said that, well the dogs were there and wouldn't the dogs have reacted, but the dogs came into that house as puppies. Oh, so that was part of their, so it was used part to. of what yeah. they were used to, but their well, that's, yeah. fire would never go in the kid's room in that house, which oh. eventually was, was pointed out as being her domain. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a room we did not use. It was storage. Always pay attention to your animals. They'll let you Absolutely. know what the stuff is. <laughs> now, so, Tara, you, you talked about when people are you know, not letting go because they, they have work to do on both sides. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten any information, um, you know, whether it be psychically or empathetically, as to what kind of work is being done? 
Mm. That's what I find. I, you know, it's hard to say. We talk about the work we do before we die. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it's different for every person. Okay. Um, I'm certainly no expert on <laughs> this, <laughs> but um, I, I can only speak of my own thoughts and beliefs. But if, if there's things that they need to work out, even if it's in their own minds, uh, looking back yeah. on life, should I have done X, Y, and Z? Why did I let this person get out of my life? Those kind of things. I'm thinking that there's a time where internally we're settling all that. Um, and oh. sort of like, like cleaning out the closet. I don't know. Is yeah. It we're putting it and, and just being able to, to, to go to the other side without a lot of baggage. Well, and I- you know, it's probably like, and I'm, I'm just saying this, but you know, the, the way they show it that when we have a, a near death, that it's probably like a big review. You're probably, it's probably like watching the movie of your life or the grand story of your life right. yeah. and, and seeing it all and getting to almost in a, in a, in a moment or a flash, relive all of that. Mm-hmm. Have you guys had that experience? I've had that once where my life passed before my eyes. Really, it was yeah. a close call. So wow. it really did. Yeah. In an instant. And it was so vivid and it was like, oh, good. My memories are going to improve now after that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, you know, no. it's funny how people can be like you said people can be in comas and then all of a sudden they wake up and they have that moment of clarity or they've been in a coma and they haven't eaten they don't want anything and all of a sudden they wake up and they want a lobster dinner and they eat the whole lobster dinner and they die within hours of the next day um, they called it a rally right isn't that the rally, rally. Uh, yeah i always called it the last hurrah you know <laughs> yeah the last hurrah or the rally back maybe consciously to do whatever those maybe that that lobster dinner had some meaning that 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 person had to have it but boy that whole family had lobster that night (laughs) it's like i always wanted to have a nice lobster dinner it's like that one last thing you know and when i worked when i worked um at the vet i was with a lot of animals when they passed they had rallies as well Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's interesting that you think about pets and, you know, some people think they're like a lower life form. I personally think they're spiritually much more intelligent than us, Right. but they'll be like, you know, really, really sick. And then they'll suddenly perk up and give that their loved one, their person, love and affection and pass. And, right. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. nine out of 10 times. I well, saw I have that. to tell a cute little story about dogs and souls. Um, a while back, we had the, oh, I'm Episcopal, we had this wonderful, wonderful, one of the first uh, women priests to be ordained in Albany Diocese. And she was, uh, uh, I want to say occupational therapist, physical therapist, now I can't remember which, her whole career, but then went into the seminary, became a priest. So we had a mature woman with all the ideals of a new priest, which was wonderful. Nice. Yeah. And so I have had animals since I was eight years old, always dogs, and have very rarely been without one. <laughs> and so she was preaching on something and and that animals have no souls. Oh and took offense to that right away. That, that is offensive. And um <laughs> evidently there's something, some interpretation in the Bible that animals don't have souls. I don't know where it is because I don't I can't tell you. I I go to church every Sunday, but I can't, you know I can't tell you chapter and verse, but anyway, uh, my last dog went missing on me for nine days. We had that, the whole church was praying, the whole city of Cohoes was praying. We searched the city for days and days and days and days and days. And we finally got him back. Oh, And so it was a Saturday that we got him back. And I didn't want to leave him, but I really felt the need to go to church. I, I knew I could thank God sitting next to the dog on my couch and he hear me, <laughs> but I felt I needed. So I brought him to church. Oh, good. And so when I went up to communion, he came with me and she took him by the face and she looked right into his eyes and she said to him, don't you ever do that to your mommy again? And, and she <laughs> blessed him. And after church, she said, 
okay, well, Harley has a soul. (laughs) She couldn't quite give it up as everybody, but she looked into his eyes and I swear it changed her thought. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. We uh, years ago, um, and and he, I think of him and his wife as as very dear friends and travel companions. But Larry and I were on the phone, and he was living down south. He worked for the FBI, and he was just recently retired. And his mother, his father had passed, and his mother was making the transition, and he had wanted a reading, so we were doing it by phone. And I was at my mother and father's house doing the reading and my daughter was very young i I want to say sarah was probably around three years old maybe five years old and um she was in the other room and i said just be quiet you know while i'm doing this reading because i'm I'm speaking to somebody long distance and so she knew what the rules were and he and i got on the phone and we started talking and he said listen if i have to hop off really quick it's because the nurse is indicating to me that you know something but right now my mother is in that that place where she hasn't been awake for a few days so he and i are talking and we were talking about the mother and and possibly the timing of when things may happen and i said to him something about his father and at that very moment my daughter sarah goes mommy mommy and i'm going like and he said oh katie i got to go He said, "Um, I got to go. I'll call you right back. This is all within nanoseconds. I said, okay. And I hang up the phone and she's continuing going, mommy. And I said, Sarah, mommy was on the phone. I told you when I'm on the phone, you know, I'm I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to a client. She goes, I know, but there was a man in here. And I went, what? She said, there was a man in here. And um, like, I think she said, and he knows you. And I said, what? And she said, he was here, but he left. Larry called back, said his mother sat up on her deathbed out of a super and um, started talking to the man in the chair right in front of her. And he goes, I believe it was my father. And I said, well, I think your father showed up here as well. (laughs) I said, while we were doing the reading, I said, just, you know, long distance, kind of like in both places. But I think he was trying to basically say like, yeah, I'm here. Let them know I'm here. I'm helping her transition over to the other side. But yeah, he made himself known to my daughter in the other room. And she wasn't afraid. And she actually said he's dressed in a suit for, you know, somebody of that young age and kind of described him like Larry's dad. And and Larry and I were both like, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, my daughter was little when she yeah. could, you know, two, three, you know, talk where you could understand their well. She used to say, I'm so glad I picked you for my parents. I'm so glad I picked you for my parents. Terry used to do that too. And that isn't, that's a gift from kids that are indigos. They don't typically, but they'll say, I picked you this time. Or do you remember when we were here last time together? And you're like, oh, do you remember? I love it when they do that. Yeah. Oh my God. Both my, my two younger ones both did that. Adam, when he was like two or three years old, he goes, do you remember last time we were here? We were in Boston. We were all together before. And then 10 years later, Didi, our, our youngest, he goes, do you remember that time we were here before in Boston? I'm like, holy shit. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And that was during the American Revolution. Oh, wow. know, in war. So, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So interesting with with all of that and the and the time lapse and and um you know just kind of seeing it through different eyes when you're experiencing these things with your family. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing and the hardest part of our job, Terry, um, for Michelle and I, yeah. is helping people understand that when people cross, they choose their heaven. Right. So That's it doesn't true. matter if they are, you know, whatever culture, whatever religion, right. Right. we cross over, we choose where we want to go. Mm-hmm. So as hard and as painful as that leaving is and, and that transition is, they don't carry that pain to the other side. Right. They don't carry. And so many times there'll be people and they're in grief, um, understandably, and they'll be crying and they'll say to me, is my mother, is my mother grieving? No. no and they look surprised right right yeah and they'll say is is my mother is my mother upset does 
I'll say, no. And it's because they don't carry that kind of emotion. They understand it to the other side. They don't carry pain. They don't carry sickness to the other side for all of our listeners. No dementia either. No, no. The the soul is whole folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the living has a challenge. I kind of try to explain people that are very doubtful of it. I said, you know, there's a big, big part of our brain that we don't use. And, and, you know, everything in the nervous system is electrical and blah, blah, blah. And I'll go through this whole feel and then say, so that electrical energy that is who you are is released. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that kind of helps because it's kind of a black and white thing they can look at. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, you know, you might, and I always, when I give my opinions, I'll always say, look at, you know, science may disagree, but this is my feelings on things, you know? Um, yes, I'm in a scientific field, but even in medicine, a lot of things happen that there's no explanation for. There, you know, I've been you- for 44 years and I've seen some <laughs> things that have been absolutely amazing. So. Now, have you seen stuff with animals? Because I, I remember when my grandfather was in a nursing home, they had a cat in the nursing home and the cat would go. I heard this before too. Of a person that was going to pass. Oh yes. Animals. No, absolutely. Uh, when I worked for the center for disability services, they had a house cat and um, that cat would not leave the bed of whatever, um, whatever person was dying for like days ahead of time. In fact, there was one girl that had a seizure disorder that was very well controlled, hadn't had a seizure in years. Yeah. And for two days prior, that cat never went near her because she was more like a child. So she would pull at the cat's tail and stuff. So yeah. that cat, and she did not have a close relationship. And for two days, that cat was around her legs. And it was almost like it was trying to tell the staff something's wrong. Wow. And she ended up in the ER having a grand mal seizure. Jeez. And that cat was by her side until they took her out the door. Oh, my so gosh. Absolutely. Yes. Now, my parents had a cat when my dad was in hospice. Uh, her name was Miss Kitty, and she was a white cat, and she was a rescue. She had, had kidney issues. She was all over my dad. But the day that she that he passed, she left the room. And my mother's like, why do you think that is? I said, well, what was Poppy doing towards the end? He was reaching down the side of the bed and calling every animal we'd had before because he was an animal magnet. Right. They were all coming through and he was talking to them. So she felt like, oh, I'll let him connect to the to the critters on the other side. Oh. I mean, his his sister came, his father came, his mother came, but those animals came through first. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, it is. Yeah. I don't, you know, dogs are something. They know when you're they just know. They just know what's going on. And and that's why I say, you know, don't don't tell me they don't have a soul because they have connections. You know what I mean? And, that's, and that's, they know yeah. far more than us. I always say, you know, when I go out to clear a haunted house, it's like, you know, the only time I see a ghost animal is when they died with a person and the person didn't cross over. Uh-huh. They almost like, well, geez, I guess I got to stay. I got to stay with them. Yeah. 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 Help them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to um, laugh. When we had uh, two dogs. I had a dog, an older dog. My daughter was living for a short period of time. He was a young dog and he was a Rottweiler Basset Hound, the funniest looking cartoon animal you ever want to see in your life. (laughs) And poor Shaq was so old, he could barely move. And we had, uh, you know, the coffee table and Shaq would stand at one corner and Buddy would like run around and and come right up to him. Like maybe sometimes, you know, give him a little nibble on the the hind legs or whatever. And Shaq would go, oh, and then by the time Shaq could turn the other way, then Buddy would come around the other way. So he never <laughs> ran all the way around because because the, the older dog would just stay at one end. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times after we lost Shaq that that dog went around, never all the way around. It was like he was still playing with his buddy back and forth and back oh, and forth, never all the way around. Yeah. Well, that's his heaven. Yeah. Your and and when, heaven. He, when he passed, we allowed Buddy to be with him because we wanted him to know he was gone. Yes. Oh, wow. And he sat on that grave for days after, you know, so 
they're just amazing creatures. <laughs> they really are. They really are. They truly, the truly way are. The world's going. I'd, I'd take 10 dogs over most people. <laughs> Amen <laughs> to that. <laughs> Amen to that. Terry, what would you suggest to our listeners if they are interested in volunteering or working with hospice, how to start that process? You just call your, the hospices are by county. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, they are all over the country. So you just call your, your county, just, you know, Google hospice in, in your area. And they're, you know, um, COVID put a lot of uh, crimp in a lot of the services that hospice did offer, you know, massage therapy and Reiki and things like that, that, you know, those, those holistic things that are so important in death right. too. Um, volunteers, vigil volunteers. I always said, if I won the lottery, or I retire and I, I still have half a brain, I would go back and be a hospice vigil volunteer. And that's just someone to sit by the bedside and give the family a break so that that person's not alone. Um, oh. And though that's, that's a very beautiful service because some families can't do it. They can't sit by the bedside. Right. They just can't handle it, but they that. don't want them to be alone. So the hospice volunteers generally come in long before the patient dies. So they become part of that family. And, you know, and Michelle, I, I still see uh, you and your mother and I just sitting at our kitchen table having conversations yes. like this, you know. <laughs> that was and, wonderful. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, we were so fortunate to have you. Oh, thank you. I always felt blessed in, in the families I've had. There was a few that were uh, a little rocky, but for the most part. <laughs> oh, you must see it all. You must see, do you, you probably are right in the middle of family fights, you know, while the person is trying to transition. Oh my God. Yes. You do see it all. <laughs> we used to say if we wrote a book, they wouldn't believe it. You no, know, right. us can't make some of the things up we experienced. I think the scariest thing I ever experienced was um, preparing a body after they died and hearing a gun go off in the house. What? Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, evidently, that's how it was in the country, and that's how this uh, gentleman, like, you know, relieved stress. So he was shooting a gun out the back oh. window. Too oh, my God. Yes. oh my yep. gosh! Boy, was oh, a little rubber leg till I got out of that house. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that's a special thing. Let's put it that way. You know. Yeah, I guess so. Hey. I was just going to say, you're, when, when you do hospice care, you're entering into a family's life at the worst possible moment. And, mm. um, you know, if you can bring that family and that patient to a peaceful place, it, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. It's a best, it's a great feeling. It's such, it's just such a special moment. It is a beautiful thing. I always think of that movie, Steel Magnolias. Mm-hmm where Sally Field said I was with her when she was born and I was with her when she, she died. Yeah. It was the most beautiful, it was the most precious thing. And that, yeah. that is just so true. Yeah. And, and I think if we, if we as a society can accept when medicine couldn't, shouldn't go any farther and allow comfort care, death with dignity, death with dignity, it, you know, people don't need to be in the hospital with tubes everywhere. When no. medicine can't do it anymore, bring them home. They want need to be home with and family. love them. Yeah. You know, my, my five-year-old grand, my five-year-old daughter sat on her grandmother's bed. When every, after she died, we're waiting for the doctor to come and pronounce. All of a sudden I couldn't find her. And she had pulled the kitchen chair into the dining room, was sitting next to her grandmother's body. And oh, I said to her, what are you doing? She said, I don't want grandma to be alone. And I oh, said, oh. I said, well, grandma went to, to heaven with God. She said, I know, but I'll wait. And Out of the mouth there, of babes. I'll wait. Yep. You know, no, that's beautiful. And listen to yeah. our animals more. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, my husband, we had grandchildren a little bit later than most people do. And, and he said to me, my granddaughter, he picks up every day, sometimes fake sleeping. So he can, he'll carry her in. <laughs> I said, he said to me, you know, I can't get mad about it. Number one, she's, she's little, so he can still do it. Um, but number two, he said, I keep thinking about now my grandfather died when I was five. 
And he said, I keep thinking about that story about you. My grandmother would rock me, think I was asleep, and my grandfather would pick me up and put me on the bed and I'd <laughs> pop right open and like surprise him. And he said, you have that beautiful memory because he did that all the time. He probably knew most of the time I was faking. I'm sure. So, you know, to carry that on, to know that that kind of a memory was going on. And, and to allow children to experience that death. Yeah, that's true them. too. Don't keep them yeah. from it. It's part of life. Let yeah. them say goodbye their way. They might not understand it all, but they understand more than we give them credit for. Right? I and agree with that. And fear is yeah. the enemy and fear is the unknown. So allow exactly. them to experience it. So if you explain it and prepare them, then again, they're not going to be afraid of death as they get older. Our generation, it wasn't talked about. You know, there was so much right. work talked about. Death wasn't talked about. You know, I couldn't go to my grandfather's funeral or wait because I was only five. Yep. I made sure my kids were there for their grandparents. You know, mm. they needed that closure. They needed to know what was going on. So, yep. That's the other advice is don't, you're not helping the children if you exclude them. They need that. They need that help to let go too and, and you know, agree with you. Absolutely. Terry, thank you so, so much for contributing and talking to us tonight about this subject with visioning and end of life care and people transitioning through hospice to the other side. It's really, you, you've really taken a lot of that mysticism or scary stuff out of it to, to yeah. let our listeners know um, how beautiful it is um, for people. And, and again, that book that you mentioned was Gone From Sight. Gone from um, my site, yeah. Gone from, gone my, from site. my site um, for uh, uh, about the stages of passing. Uh, another book I would recommend to our listeners um, is written by a client that griefs a slippery mm-hmm. griefs slippery slope, mm-hmm. um, and you can get that um, through Amazon as well right now. So, um, and again, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you yeah. here. And to our listeners, remember. When your loved ones go over, nobody says die with them. Nobody says stop living. If anything, they're telling Michelle and I, you make sure you celebrate them and you bring out their traditions and their pictures and include them in everything because they're there for you. You're, you're definitely their heaven. And live for them. Live, Do the for, live them. for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, Terry, again, thank you so much. Michelle, thank you so much. Oh, my D. Scott, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for your suggestions. This was an amazing one. So please keep your suggestions coming and all of your likes and shares and your subscriptions and just keep on listening and and sharing us with your friends. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.